So the good and beautiful design, transformation from dysfunction to design. That's the whole thing. God gave us his book, his word, his living word, and that gives us his blueprint for how we ought to live our lives. This right here tells you everything you know, you need to know when you go to work tomorrow, how you ought to respond to that nasty boss or how you ought to respond to that nasty coworker. Uh, this book right here has everything in it to tell you how you deal with your children when you get home today and they're hungry, hangry, and, and, and they're, they're driving you crazy. Th- this book here will tell you how you ought to handle that. And, and I'm going to be very clear this morning. It is this book right here that ought to lead you on how you should vote in November the 3rd. And, and many people keep commenting they want their pastor to tell them what to do, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to tell you what to do, children. You don't need your daddy to come up here and tell you what to do. I believe, as a believer, you ought to get in this book. And it ought to teach you how you ought to live in this world. So get accompanied with this book. Our elders have been coming up. We've been praying about the selection. We've been praying that you as believers would be studied up and ready to do the right thing and go and cast your vote. We want you to do that. But we want you to be led by God's blueprint. God's blueprint. It's his design. With that, it said, this is the trilogy. And the trilogy in the good and beautiful design is the good and beautiful God. We learned about God as Jesus told us about him and the good and beautiful life. And now we're on the good and beautiful community. The community of believers together is a good and beautiful thing, amen? It is supposed to be a beautiful thing. It is supposed to really have an impact in your life and in the world. And last week we talked about how we are a peculiar people. Peculiar, strange, odd, unusual. Did anybody work on the soul training exercises this week? We had the two by four, spending time alone with God. And the second one was four acts of peculiarity. Anybody do anything very peculiar this week on purpose? Some of you probably did peculiar things on accident, but did, well, we got to work on our four acts of peculiarity. We're peculiar people, First Peter says. Strange. We live life differently. That's why in the good and beautiful community, it's about the Holy Spirit leading us to acts of grace and love. At the bottom there, it says, following the Spirit, extending grace, demonstrating love. That's my prayer for you. Today, here's the big idea. Last week was peculiar. This week is, we are a hopeful community. Everybody say hopeful. We, yeah, that was not convincing at all. We are a hopeful, hopeful community. We must share our hope with the people searching for hope. This morning, we're going to talk about how we, as the good and beautiful community, are a hopeful community. Hopeful. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. I want to read that. You can either open up your Bible. There might be a Bible in one of the seat baskets underneath there near you, or you can turn on a gadget. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. There's a sentence there I want to take you back to. Look at verse 5. The faith and love 
that sprang from the hope. Everybody say hope. The hope stored up for you. Can I make a proposition today? We must start with hope in order to get saved. There has to be a starting point of hope. Do we get saved by hope? Not at all. Did you see it says the faith and love that sprang from hope. Hope is the spring that brings things to life. And hope is the thing that brings you to faith. How's your hope doing? Is your hope in the Lord? Are you basing your hope on Jesus Christ? That hope leads us to faith. And faith is what saves us. The key verse this morning. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Wouldn't you think that that should say faith? To give the reason for the faith that you have. We know that it's faith that saves us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. No, the thing that they're going to see in you is hope. They're going to see hope. Hope is that evidence in you that there's faith in there. Faith is really a hard thing to kind of see in somebody, really. It's, it's, it's hard to know. You ever been around somebody and after a while, somebody you didn't know, somebody you weren't familiar with, and after a little while you said, hey, are you a believer? You ever had that happen? You just feel like maybe they, they yeah. You can't see their faith though, but you can listen to them and there's something about, there's, there's a hope in them, a hope. And the Bible this morning is telling us we're a hopeful people. Give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. This blessed hope is not a normal hope. I, I, I've been talking about it last week as an elder. I prayed uh, for hopefulness in a hopeless world right now. That was our elder prayer for the election. And this hope that I talked about is not wishful thinking. Not wishful thinking. It's different. The dictionary says it's to look forward to with confidence and expectation. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. In the New Testament, there's the word elipis. It's mentioned 40 Many, funny, you know, 40, 50, 54 times in the New Testament, this word ellipsis is in there. And it's the word hope, which means anticipate with confident expectation. Expectation. There's another word just like it in the New Testament. Elipizzo, not pizza, don't get hungry on me. Elipizzo, which means expect and trust. That's in the New Testament 32 times. 54 times, 32 times, that's a lot of hope mentioned in the New Testament. We're to put a expectation, not a, not a wishful thinking. We're talking expectation. I brought this kind of to illustrate that. Somebody, I'm looking forward to um, Halloween's coming up, and I'm, I, I promise I don't touch Mount Candy. I haven't touched Mount Candy. You've been wonderful bringing in candy. Mount Candy's probably shin high right now. That's awesome. Keep bringing candy for our fall family fun event. I don't touch any of it, but I do have a favorite Halloween candy. How many of you have? Who has a shout out your favorite Halloween candy? Somebody. Snickers, I heard. What else? Reese's. Who said that? Marie, you and I, I mean, we're like, we got a mother from another brother. I don't know. But we, we, we did it. I love Reese's. And I love that Reese's got smart and they made a Reese's for every holiday. Right now there's Reese's pumpkins, right? They're pumpkin shaped. In a little bit, they're going to turn into trees. I love Reese's. Wouldn't it be crazy this morning if, if as your pastor, I'm like, oh, wishful thinking. Let's fill my bucket, my empty bucket here. Let's fill that. Uh, and, and we'll just use some magic juice here. And then uh, maybe a little fire. We're going to make some Reese's. And somebody said Snickers or somebody like that, right? Whoa, ah. So we'll just do that. Whoa. Okay. We'll put it out because it's hot. That's why I got this. We got a whole. Okay. That's not how we make Reese's and Snickers, but it might work. Who said Snickers? Did you say Snickers? There you go. Marie, I'm going to throw this and hopefully you don't hurt anybody. 
Oh, I'll throw a second one because he's going to keep it. I knew it. I knew he was going to keep it. You know, this is not how we make Snickers and Reese's. It's not wishful thinking. It's not magic. When it comes to kingdom people, when we talk about hope, we're talking about a confident expectation. A confident expectation. This is not, I don't know what's going to happen and I hope it happens. No, this is a hope built on faith. But it's your hope that's going to be seen. And that's why this morning we're going to deal with the false narrative. Only certain people can share their faith. That's a false narrative. There's so many excuses people have about sharing their hope in Jesus. Number one, uh, people say it's not my gift. How many of you have ever taken a spiritual gift inventory test and you know what your spiritual gift is? Anybody? All right, not that many people have done that. It was really popular in the 80s and 90s. Everybody had to know what their main spiritual gift is. And what that led us to was a whole generation of Christians saying, well, sharing my faith is not my gift, as if they don't have to do it. That's an excuse. Caring is not my gift, so nuts to you. No, no. I mean, some people say, well, I have the gifts of hospitality, but that's all I have to do. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You might be gifted really strong in one category, but you're not lifted from the obligation of the other categories, by which one of them is a command. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If it's not your spiritual gift, you still need to learn how to do it. We ought to be sharing our hope. Another excuse is, I'm not good at it. Well, get better. Get better. My son, uh, well, he's here this service, but uh, Josh, he, he took uh, guitar at Oxford High School. He, he, you know, he loved that. I guess the teacher's really cool at Oxford High School. So he loved it. He, he played guitar. He was playing and playing. Then he just quit. He just stopped. And then not too long ago, talking about a year or two ago, uh, he stopped not too long ago, my wife said, Josh, I miss hearing you play guitar. I mean, it wasn't one of these mom, you know, moms sometimes put on the guilt. It wasn't one of those. I mean, I know the difference. And she just said, boy, I miss hearing you play guitar. I wish you'd have stuck with that. Next thing you know, Josh is playing guitar again. And now he's playing every day. And he's getting pretty good at it. He came the other day. He's like, Dad, listen to this. And he had three chords down, G, C, and D. And he could switch back and forth. from. And he's like, I'm getting there. I'm like, you got there. You can play any song in the world with three chords. That's it. Every song's written in G, C, and D. That's it. You, you got it, Josh. You're on the team. He's like, no, not yet. But it just struck me. He got better. How did he get better? He practiced. He got to it. So believer, if you're sitting there to say, ah, it's not my gift and I'm not good at it, those are excuses. Another one is, I, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed. That's why you wouldn't share the hope that you have because somebody might call you strange or odd or unusual. I think I covered that last week. All right? We have the message of hope. We have the answer for what the world needs. And the true narrative, instead of the false narrative, the true narrative is all Christians share their faith. All of you share your faith. Some of you just don't do very good at it. We might as well do it well. Amen? All Christians are seen and their lives are being read, so we might as well get good at sharing of the hope that we have. I told you this before, it's one of the things that shook me to the core the most in my life is I had a friend named Steve Otto who died of cancer. 
Steve had cancer several times, and, and we would pray over him. And, and he, had, he had a young family, a wife and three girls, three or four girls, and young, still in high school. And um, Steve would come in, we'd pray over him, and we'd find out that he was healed, and he was doing better, but then it would come back. He literally was healed and, and had cancer and came back about five times. And it got increasingly worse. And I was on a missions trip in Chicago, working with some teens in Cicero, and I got the phone call. The, the secretary of the church says, Pastor, you better come home. Steve called and said he wants to see you, and, and, and you better get in the car and start driving now. It's not good. Three and a half hour drive, I'm like, I better go. So it was getting toward evening. I grabbed one of my interns. I said, you keep me awake, let's go. We drove all the way to Battle Creek, got there at about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I, I ran up to the, the room, got into the the hospital, you know, I had a three and a half hour trip to prepare what I was going to say, right? You'd think I'd have been ready. But I walked into the room and there I see his daughter's crying. His wife is there. Steve looked really bad. He's in his, in his hospital bed. And I went to the bed and I knelt down and I grabbed Steve by the arm and I just got overwhelmed. It overcame me. My friend was going to die. And in my wonderful Martin Luther King Jr. moment, my Billy Graham best, when I had his hand and I'm kneeling by his bed, I said, Steve, this sucks. Not, not my finest moment as a pastor. But it's what I felt. And I started to bawl. I just started to bawl. And Steve, in his last moments on this earth, reached over. He grabbed my head and just patted me and said, Pastor, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. He's comforting me in his last moments. I thought about that moment so many times. And I've thought, what if somebody had the cure for cancer? They literally had it. It was the cure. Take this, you are going to be healed just like that. What if somebody had that cure and they didn't share it because they wanted to keep it for their own benefit? They were hoping they'd get the patent all alone. They'd make billions of dollars. So they held on to it while Steve died and grandma died and your uncle died and others passed. How would you feel about that person? To hold on to the only answer for hope? For your own benefit? Doesn't seem right. See, friends, we have the answer, the hope within us, the answer for salvation for people who don't know. We must share it. That's why this morning I want to tell you the four-part story of hope. Take notes if you can or try to remember. There's four parts to our story of hope. Number one, death. People claim we're a bloody and, and, and death-focused religion. And in a sense, it's true. Because <laughs> the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin, and we're all sinners for all of sin, the Bible says in Romans. The Bible says all must pay this punishment for our sins, and that punishment is death. The good news is that God knew that. As a just God, he wasn't going to wink at sin. He wasn't just going to turn his back and forget about it. He sent his son Jesus, who never sinned. Jesus lived here on the earth for 33 and a half years, never sinned. And he went to the cross for you. It's called substitutionary atonement. He died on the cross. He died for you. The punishment required is death. Jesus died for you. Colossians 3 and verse 3. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What's beautiful about these four, this four-part story of hope, is you and I are participants in this with Christ. The first one is death. Jesus died on the cross 
in your place, in my place. He died for you. The one who knew no sin became sin. We become the righteousness. (laughs) Those who aren't righteous become the righteousness through Jesus' death. But the Bible in Colossians says, you died with Christ. We are participants in this story. That's why I love what happened this morning. Julia, you participated. You know, you're actually feeling this message with the wet hair right now. You're like, I got put under. And Carly, I know, I always want to say Nina Popolis or something now, but Nina. All three of them are sitting here and they can feel that wet hair on them because something happened. They said, I'm with Christ. Christ was dead and he, he was buried. We took these three young ladies today. Are you with Christ? Yes, I'm with Christ. And the first thing we did, we put them down under the water. That's a beautiful picture. But it's not as beautiful without this part. The second part of hope is resurrection. Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above. I didn't leave any of you under, did I? I brought all three of you back. I promised them. I promised all three of them. I'm going to bring you back up. We're going to put you under to show that you're died with Christ, but we're going to raise you up to new life. Jesus not only died, he's not a martyred Savior, he's a risen Savior. Conquering sin and death once and for all. And when we show ourselves in obedience of baptism, we show that we, we died with Christ, we're made alive anew because of Christ's resurrection. Ascension, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We have a Savior who died for us. He was risen again, but then he went, after being seen by 400 witnesses, he went and ascended up to heaven where he sat down. And most of you have heard that, the reason why that's in Scripture, because the Old Testament high priest used to have to go into the Holy of Holies to make the sacrifices. And when he was done, he would come out and he would sit down. It was, a, it was actually physically a symbol of the work was being finished. It was done. The, the priest would come out and they would sit down and everybody would see, oh, he accomplished it. He did what he set out to do. The work is done. And then we have in Scripture that the great high priest, Jesus, died on the cross, rose again, and he ascended to heaven where he was seated. It is finished, amen? It is accomplished. It's done. And we will ascend with him someday. We will ascend with him. The last part of our story of hope is the return. It's a future thing. We're waiting for this. That's why we're a waiting community. We're a community of hopefulness, and we're a community that's waiting for the return of Christ. Because he died for us, he rose again, he went to heaven, and he promised he's coming back to take us with him. And then we will be with him. The return. We participate. Everybody say participate. We are participants in this. This isn't just history or something that Christ... I want you to realize today, and what a great day to have baptism on this day where we talk about this, the four-part story of hope. Can you share that with somebody? Do you think you have a, a way in your mind you, you could make that clear to give the reason for the hope that you have? We ought to get better at it. We ought to practice that. I used to take teens on missions trips, and, and you know what I would do? Before we'd go, I'd train them. I would tell them, you, you, know, you need to be able to share your story. Your story is powerful. That's why I love baptisms. I love hearing people's story when they accepted Christ. When people become members here, I love hearing their stories about how they came to Christ because your story is powerful. 
So I would teach teams before we'd go into inner cities or across the world, how do you share your story? Your three handles. My hand, first handle is my life before Christ. My second handle is when I met Christ. My third handle is my life since Christ. You can do that. See, believer, you can share the hope that you have. I remember taking a, a group to Chicago and we would get on the train. It wasn't the, it was the, um, ah, it was the fast one. And we'd go in and out of the city and we'd have to ride that to and from the hotel each day. And, and I told the teens, I encourage you to try to talk to somebody. It's hard because people are in transit and they're, they're, they're not wanting to talk. But maybe if you get a conversation started with somebody, you could share your faith. About halfway through the trip, I saw this teenager sit down on the train and there was a guy sitting two seats away from him. And I saw the teenager kind of, you could just see they were trying to get the nerve. And the guy was reading a newspaper, listening with earphones, and you know, just totally like, don't talk to me, right? But my, my student somehow got his attention, and I heard him. I was two, two rows back, and I could hear him saying, hey, listen, uh, how was your day today? You know, what, how you doing? And, and uh, finally, the conversation got far enough where the guy said, well, what are you guys doing here in Chicago? Let me tell you what we're doing. And the kids started talking about what we were doing there and why, because of Christ. And, and the guy said, well, let me hear more about what you believe about this Jesus. I'm like, whoa, this is good. And this kid was like, oh, he's starting to give verses about G. I'm like, he's doing it, he's doing it. And finally, uh, most of the way through this whole talk, the guy said, hey, listen, I'm a pastor of a local church. Church. I just wanted to see what you were going to say. And the kid was like, the kid was like, oh, I failed. I'm like, what do you mean? It was great practice. That was great. You did it. You didn't know he was a pastor, but you did it. I was so proud. Stretch those muscles. The problem with Christians is we have atrophy. We have atrophy. We're not stretching our physical, spiritual muscles. We're not sharing our story of hope. And it's the only thing that'll save the gospel of Jesus. So there's two things. There's hope and action. Everybody say action. Hope and action. I told you, everybody shares their faith, whether you know it or not. People are watching and they're reading and they're seeing what you're like. And your life speaks a lot. So hope and action, number one, in Galatians 2.20, should be on the screen, Galatians 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. That hope in action is your living. It's Jesus Christ living in you, through you. You can share the gospel by actions of love. Second verse, Romans 12, 10 through 18. And this is a long list, but this is living out our hope. It says, I've been crucified, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is hope in action. Boy, if we'd live this out, it would be a good and beautiful community, amen? It would be a good and beautiful family. All these actions... Some of them, you would even say, well, that's not my spiritual gift. Get over that. (laughs) Practice them all. Come on now, church. You might be really strong in one thing, but that means you need work in the others. And all of this whole list is a great list about showing our 
hope and act. Just do it. And then 2 Corinthians 2.15, the pleasing aroma. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Your life is hope in action. And that's a pleasing scent that it puts off a beautiful aroma. But there's a negative side. When we're not living up to these actions of hope, it's a stinky thing. And stinky Christians are the worst Christians. Years ago, I, I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I, in Sao Paulo, we go to Chascaria. I love Chascaria. Oh, by the way, you guys did a song last week that I sang the whole thing in Portuguese. Venu adorace, venu joe army, venu declararo es meu Deus, es totalmente santo, totalmente digno, es maravilloso para mim. For all of our Portuguese-speaking friends, Chascaria is a beautiful restaurant, all meat, and it's just great. Their salad bars, put our salad bars here to shame. They have everything on them. I went up to the salad bar and getting all this stuff, and at the end I saw these things that looked like uh, bacon bits, little brown uh, fried things, and I'm like, those look good. So I covered my salad in those, and I ate them, and I was eating, I said, those are good. Man, that's, that's wonderful flavor. So I went back and I just got two tablespoons of those on my plate. I'm eating those things, thinking these are the, it's, it's not, not quite like bacon or something more. T- it was actually diced garlic. They took whole cloves of garlic, diced them, and then fried them in butter or something like that. And I was eating them like candy. I loved it. On the way home, my wife's like, you need a mint. You need another mint. You need the whole box. And then that night, she's like, you stink. I'm like, I don't, I don't smell it. And the next morning, I got up. She said, you still stink. See, it wasn't coming out my mouth anymore. I'd eaten so much and it was actually oozing out my pores. You ever eaten garlic like that? Where just, it's coming out of you. I was a garlic clove fried in butter and it stunk for days. You couldn't get away. No matter what I tried, stunk up to high heaven. The truth is, we're, we're either living this hope out in a way that's pleasing to Christ. Fellow believers see it. And those who are dying see it. And it's either a pleasing and pleasant aroma or it stinks. I'm going to try to be more gentle this service. I lost it in the first service. I take exception to the stinkiness going on with Christians right now. I've been sent emails and Facebook posts accusing me of killing babies and hating Israel and you name it. People saying, you must be for abortion because you won't stand up and tell the people who to vote for. That's disgusting. That stinks. To claim that I'm for abortion. You know what really stinks? It's when Christians, one time in every four years, make that an issue. That's what stinks. Hope in action means that that ought to be an issue every day. And this is the guy who went into public schools and taught abstinence. This is the guy who went and told kids that you don't want to get pregnant and face consequences. This is the guy who talked to teenagers who were pregnant and tried to help them make a good choice. This is the guy. So don't do that. Don't take your spiritual leaders and throw them under the bus during a political year. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I already told you. Look at this. Determine and do what you should do. But to to make those kind of claims, that's, that's just, it stinks. 
it's stinky. You need a mint or two or the whole box. We shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't. There's more than hope and action, thankfully. Hope and action is good, but there also ought to be hope in words. I know St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and, and when necessary, use words. And we like that, but the words are necessary. <laughs> I, I, I love when you're living a life, but then people should be coming and saying, what's the reason for the hope? And then you need words. You hear me? You got to have words to back it up. And so that's the gospel. Can you share the gospel? So hope in words as we wrap up today is 1 Peter three fifteen through 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Man, words. Be prepared to give the answer for the hope that you have. Give the reason. <laughs> for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness and respect. Matthew ten sixteen, the great verse to close with, it says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Being a sheep in a bunch, around a bunch of wolves, that's not a good scenario. Sheeps just are not, sheeps are not a defensive creature at all. But the Bible says, I want you to be as shrewd or as wise as snakes and, and as gentle or harmless as doves. I love how that, those two are mixed there. Snakes. Oh, I hate snakes. But I do know snakes are wise. I've seen snakes only when I've almost stepped on them. Have you almost stepped on a snake? Woo. This is that time of year. There's lots of leaves and stuff, and I'll go walk jacks, and I put jacks out front and hope he'll scare the, dog or scare the snakes because I don't want to see a snake. But I've never been chased through the woods by a snake. Have you ever been chased for a mile by a snake? No? Never happened? Have you ever been walking and you see a snake 20 yards away and they come and they try to get you? No, no, no. Snakes lie in wait. That's the shrewdness of a snake. The wisdom of a snake is I'm just going to stay right here and when they come close, I'll strike. That's why the Bible quickly said, but be harmless as doves. (laughs) I'm glad they didn't leave it just with the snakes. We as believers are like sheep We're just out there in a world that needs this message of hope. We're to be wise and harmless. Share hope. Make that aroma pleasing. Make that aroma something that would please Christ, that people that you go to church with, our community here, we would be pleased with, and and people that don't know Christ, so that we would be giving this, this actions of hope with words of hope that people would then receive the hope. I'd ask the team to come and sing us out today and just go ahead and come on up. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, I hope you heard the message. Mixed in there was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we're sinners in need of a savior. God took care of that need by sending Jesus to die on a cross in our place. And then he rose again. And he's coming back. Have you put your hope in him? Have you put your faith in him? For those of us who put our faith in Jesus, that ought to be seen in the hope that we're living with. And the hope in actions, the hope in words. And if you, if you need help with this, by the way, we've got people here who teach evangelism. 
Julie Gleason. I'm going to try to get Julie to lead a, a, a teaching on that. I know Shrek has done teaching on evangelism. I do teaching on evangelism. Learn how you can share your faith. And it doesn't have to be a painful, weird thing. You can do it in a way that's respectful and honorable. But learn how. Practice. Let's show our hope. Today there's, there's some uh, soul training exercises coming your way. I pray that you'll get involved with them. Practice. Get away from that spiritual atrophy. Get some work going and stretch the spiritual muscles. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray a blessing for these folks here today that we would be Christians who have actions of hope that are seen in this world and that we have words to back them up so that when people ask us for the reason for the hope, we can tell them it's Jesus. And here's what he did for me. Help us to be people like that, a hopeful community in Jesus' name. Amen.